Hey, good morning, everybody. Oh, three of y'all. That was awesome. Good morning to the rest of you. There we go. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in the midst of a series called The Awakening. Say The Awakening. We're going through the book of Acts. We're looking at this incredible move of God that happened here in the book of Acts. We're looking as well at modern day moves of God that have continued in this same form and fashion, echoing the refrain that if he did it before, he can do it again. Come on, y'all are tracking with me. I feel good already. Last week, how many of you were here for Pastor Robert? How many of you enjoyed that? Man, Pastor Robert did an incredible job talking about fear specifically about the fear of God versus the fear of man and how faith in Jesus can transform inner fear into outward courage. If you missed it and you feel like that's something that would interest or be helpful to you, either online or in the room, check it out on our YouTube or our podcast, Search Greenhouse South Florida. This week, I wanna talk about the opposite of that fear and what really defined this Book of Acts community, love and boldness. Turn to your neighbor and say, bold. Why don't you stand your feet? If you're in the room, if you're watching online, you can stand your feet as well, get the circulation going and the blood flowing. Turn to Acts chapter four. We'll pick up where we left off, verse 23. While you're turning there, it is a glorious time to be a South Florida sports fan. The Miami Heat sit enthroned atop the Eastern Conference. The Florida Panthers also are number one for all four of us hockey fans in South Florida one time. And the Miami Dolphins, come on somebody, for the first time in what feels like an eternity, we seem to have made good decision at the front office, although, I don't, can I just, can we be honest, church? Can we just, can we just talk with one another? Tom Brady. How do we feel about Tom Brady? I mean, to win games would be nice, but at, the, at, the, at what cost? At what cost? What would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his football soul? Sorry, I just, that felt good. Okay, the Bible. If you're ready, say, preach the Bible. I will do that. Verse 23, remember immediately preceding this, Peter and John have been used by God supernaturally. The religious leaders have threatened them with their very lives. Don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, psych. And this is what happened next. On their release, after being threatened by the religious leaders, who by the way, just murdered the Messiah, not empty threats by any stretch of the imagination. On their release, Peter and John went back to their people. Everybody say their people. Other versions say they went back to their friends and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, when they heard this, they together as a community of faith raised their voices together in prayer and said, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. You know what they're doing here? They're quoting scripture. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. And here's their big prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Did that happen? Did that happen? So, so like God listens to prayers and answers them? Wow, 
Just checking. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God. What does it say? Boldly, would you join me as we boldly pray, God, do your thing in our hearts this morning for your glory and people's good. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, you give your neighbor a high five as you find your seat or an elbow bump or a kiss on the lips if you're married to him. Come on, somebody. Trying to help y'all marry people out. Have you ever met someone that's just bold? Anybody know someone like that? Maybe you're sitting next to someone like that. My wife, Nancy, and I have two children. Our oldest, Liam, is five, and that joker is bold. He has no problem speaking his mind. I, I remember not too long ago, we were sitting down for dinner, and when the Lash family sits down for dinner, there are a lot of words that happen. Not quite sure how that came about, but all of our children and their father uh, love to use lots of words, and my blessed introvert wife is like, why, Lord? Um, but we're there, and, we're, and, and so we do this thing called the question game. And the question game is, is basically a way to keep our kids' attention so that we can have them distracted enough to eat all of their food before they want to run away. Toddler parents, can I get an amen on this one? We do the question game, and so, uh, you know, it ranges. Basically, a family member will toss out a question, and whoever tosses out the question gets to pick who answers first, and we go around the table and answer it. Deep, meaningful questions like, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And if you had to eat one food for a month, what would it be? You know, those, those kind of deep theological, robust questions like that. And um, not too long ago, my son Liam, he said, Dad, I want to ask the first question for the question game. All right. I said, all right, buddy, ask the question. And his question was, if you could only survive off one thing, what would it be? I said, huh, okay. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor and uh, the priest of the home. So I said, he said, Dad, you go first. I said, God. <laughs> Drop the mic. And he was like, oh, that's a good one, Dad. I was like, you know. And so Liam said, okay, Lucy, you're up next. Now, our daughter, Lucia, if you've ever met her, I mean, this girl is sugar sweet. She is absolutely incre incredible. She's amazing. And so, but she's two, so she's not, she doesn't fully grasp the question game yet. And so he said, Lucy, your turn. And she said, I love my stuffy. And so Liam, he wasn't quite, he's like, no, no, Lucy, if you could only survive off one thing, what would it be? And so Nancy, bless her heart, tried to step in and she's like, no, Liam, I think Lucia would, would like to bring her stuffy. Liam was not feeling that answer. He's like, mom, are you kidding me? A stuffy? She's gonna survive off a stuffy? He's five. And Nancy was like, we were both kind of taken aback. And she's like, is, am I getting this? And, and she was like, I mean, Liam, what would you bring? And he's like, water, mom, duh. And that was the moment I realized I'm not on his level. Like, I'm just, I'm just not on his level. This boy is bold. He will speak his, is that Mira? Oh my gosh, good to see you, Mira. Oh, it's amazing. He, he will speak his mind. Boldness. Jesus told his disciples, he said, wait in Jerusalem until what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon you and you get boldness or power, dunamis is the Greek word, power from on high. They waited in Jerusalem and what happened? The Holy Spirit fell, tongues of fire, and they got 
boldness, power from on high. It's the, it's the reverberating theme so far in our story. The Holy Spirit comes, tongues of fire. People are like, freak me out if, right? And they're like, what's going on? And Peter stands up. Remember, this is Peter who had just denied Jesus to his face, essentially. And Peter, all of a sudden, full with the Holy Spirit, stands up in boldness and preaches the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And 3,000 people turn to Jesus as Lord and leader. It's amazing. Then they're walking through the temple. This, this man who's been crippled his entire life, some 40 odd years, he's there and he says, can you give me money? And they're like, man, they're like college students apparently. They're like, we don't have no money, but here's what we got. In the name of Jesus, get up. And buddy gets up and does the moonwalk. It's my own parenthetical citations here. But he gets up, he starts walking. It's amazing. And Peter stands up boldly, preaches the good news of Jesus. Another 2,000 people get added to these followers of, I mean, you talk about a movement. This thing is moving. You wanna talk about awakening, revival, fire. It's happening. God is moving. Awakening is happening. Lives are being changed and then comes opposition. Just as things begin to go, just as the juice gets loose, just as things are happening, haters gonna hate. Nothing new under the sun. And opposition comes. Isn't that how it always happens? I wanna use a metaphor, if, you, if this has been driving you nuts, I will now reference it. I wanna use a metaphor during the course of our time together. I wanna to talk about charcoal. See, this is created for an express and intent purpose, which is what? To burn. Charcoal is made to burn. In its very nature, by its very design, it is made to burn. It is made to burn long, it is made to last, it is made to burn bright, it is made to catch fire much like you and I. You and I were not made to just survive through life. We were made to burn with passion and destiny and purpose. If you are a human being, I've got great news for you. There is destiny and purpose for your life. How can you know that? Because you were made by God. It's amazing, yeah, it's really soul-stirring and inspiring. You and I, much like this charcoal, were made to burn. And when we catch fire, amazing things can happen. And my question on the table this morning is really simple. Who put your fire out? Who put your fire out? See, what we see in Acts chapter four is not unique to these disciples. In fact, the same thing happens to these disciples right here in the room or watching online or over there in Guyana. Life has an inevitable way to snuff out fire, passion, purpose, calling. It's not just a reality for those disciples, it's a reality for these disciples. And if we're not careful, if we're not intentional to nurture and guard revival fire in our hearts and our lives, the enemy is sure to try and put it out. Can anybody relate to this? Has anybody experienced this? Right when God starts moving, right when things start happening, right when that prayer got answered, right when you, you had that experience with God and you're like, oh, he's real, it's not just a fairy tale. All of a sudden it just happens that opposition comes. And what we see here in Acts chapter four is the enemy of our souls trying to snuff out this little revival awakening fire right at the very beginning before it really gets going. But this attempt didn't work, did it? 
We're still here this morning, fast forward thousands of years, talking about this same life-giving story, the truth and the message of Jesus. This attempt to snuff out the fire did not work. Why? I want us to take a look and see because there's something in this story that if you and I can grab it, maybe our proverbial fire does not have to get snuffed out as well. Three stopping points along the way. The first one is this. When life gets hard, point number one, if you're taking notes, jot it down. You need friends. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need friends. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's true. It's true. You need friends. We, we, we felt this very much so in the course of this pandemic season. When we suffer, we often don't have people to go to. I wanna talk for a moment here about loneliness and, and sort of define our current moment empirically based off of the statistical research and analysis of our context in this very moment. I came across a bunch of different scholarly articles and journals this week as I was looking at this idea of what, what do these disciples do when they're up against it? What do these disciples do when they encounter opposition? What do these disciples do when they hit a moment of hardship? Well, it tells us right here, they go to their friends. They go to their people. Harvard Magazine says social psychologists define loneliness as the gap between the social connections you would like to have and those you feel you actually experience. According to a 2018 report by the Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation, 22% of adults in the United States say they often or always feel lonely or socially isolated. 22%. A 2019 survey, so one year later, led by health insurer Cigna, found that 61% of Americans report feeling lonely. Loneliness had become such a serious issue that the former U.S. Surgeon General called loneliness a, quote, public health epidemic. The U.K. went on to appoint a minister for loneliness a year later. Now, if you notice, these statistics are pre-pandemic. Do you think it's gotten better or worse in the midst of the pandemic? Worse, right? Doesn't take a rocket scientist. In fact, the epidemic of loneliness has only been exacerbated by the pandemic. Social media use among midlife and older adults has more than tripled since 2010, was even more widely used during the pandemic, and yet social media does not necessarily curb social isolation. As people use social media more, they report feeling more lonely, not less, according to the study. It's affecting all the different demographics of humanity. It's not just a young person thing and it's not just a wise one thing, it is a human thing. See, it's not just a struggle for the elderly. According to the studies, 18 to 24 year olds are the loneliest group in the country. Yeah, these are the stats, these are the facts. If you're here in the room and you might be resonating, you're like, thank God someone sees me. Yeah, God sees you. And a lot of us are in this boat. Point number one, you, you need friends. When they faced challenges and opposition, they went to their friends. The article continued, the health implications of loneliness have become clearer over time. According to the research of Julianne Holt-Lungstead, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University, the heightened risk, check this out, the heightened risk of mortality from loneliness equals that of smoking 15 cigarettes a day or being an alcoholic and exceeds the health risks associated with obesity. Just in case you're part of the crew and you're like, man, I, I'm good, I'm fine on my own, Pastor John, I, I come here, but I, I got this on my own. The, the word of God and the research of science is abundantly clear. No, you don't. You need friends. See, when we suffer, often we don't have people to go to. 
or we have the wrong people and those people we have don't do what these friends that we see in Acts chapter four do right here. I wanna talk about the slap heard around the world. You're like, are we really gonna go there? We're gonna go there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've seen it memed everywhere on social media this week. There's lots of things we could talk about. We could talk about the what that happened. We could talk about why it happened. We could talk about did it happen? Is this some grand conspiracy because they were trying to up the ratings in the Oscars? I don't wanna talk about any of that right now. You can hit me up later. Here's what I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about the reaction of others. Who you surround yourself with. We've, we've said it in different ways. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Friends are like an elevator. They'll take you up or they'll take you down. Right? You can say it in a bunch of different ways. But at the end of the day, there were two distinct groupings of people in the moment that responded to this situation. On one hand, you had Will Smith's family. His son had tweeted a, a tweet right after this and it basically said, that's how we do in this family. And then he took it down and you know, people screenshot it because the internet's forever, right? So they pulled it back up. This is what happened, right? And and then on the other hand, you had a whole group of celebrities like Denzel Washington and, and they sort of got around Will Smith right afterwards and they kind of talked him down and, and calmed him down and, and encouraged him. And, 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 and when he came out with his statement and said, man, Will Smith did this week and said, man, I'm so embarrassed by what I did in the heat of the moment. I wish I wouldn't have done this. All these different things. You had two different groups that responded very differently to his actions. So my question is, which group do you have? You, you need friends. Life is clear on that. Science is clear on that. God and the Bible are clear on that. But you need to assess the type of friends you have as well. Namely, are they the ones that encourage the best you or do they bring out the worst in you? Are they the type of friends that gas you up for good or for evil? Are they the type of friends that propel you lower or do they call you higher? Point number one, you need friends. But point number two, you need friends who point you to Jesus. Can I get an amen? You need friends, but you don't just need, it's not just that you need warm bodies. You need friends who point you to Jesus. Check out these friends, verse 23, on their release after encountering opposition and de literal death threats. Peter and John went back to their own people. They went back to their friends and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Here's the problem that I need us to catch. We all have desire for purpose, right? How many of you are like, I would like my life to count and matter for something? Two people raising their hands. Okay, awesome. I feel much better now. All right, I'm in the, I'm in the right room. We all have a desire to, for God to use our lives for destiny and purpose, to bring about human flourishing, to make a difference in this world for the good, right? Here's what this passage makes clear. And here's what we see over and over in the trajectory of human history. While we long to burn with passion and purpose and divine calling and destiny, you are only as bold as your people. This story could have ended very differently. Imagine if Peter and John went back and they were like, man, you know, the Sanhedrin, this is what they said. And their friends were like, ooh, no, we don't, we don't want to mess with them. You saw what happened to Jesus? He died. Do you want that to happen to you? They didn't say that. There's all sorts of different ways that these friends could have responded. And when Peter and John go back to their people, when they go back to their community, when they go back to their friends, their friends point them back to his word. Look at what I mean. Verse 24, when they heard these threats, when they heard this predicament, when they heard about this opposition, 
They raised their voices together in prayer and said, Sovereign Lord, you see everything. And they jump into quoting scripture. In fact, what they're reading from this, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up against the rulers and the Lord and against his anointed one. This is actually a psalm. Anybody know where it comes from? Psalm 2, Karina got it. Bonus points and treasure in heaven. Psalm 2. This comes from Psalm 2. In that time period, this would have been a widely and popularly recognized messianic psalm, meaning it's talking about the Messiah. It's not just that these friends were able to point Peter and John back to God's word, back to Jesus. They actually do it in a very intelligent way. They rightly divide the word of truth, and they're not just saying, hey, here's a Bible verse, you know, like Michael Scott style, like cleanliness is next to godliness, which is not a Bible verse, by the way. They don't just like try to cherry pick random stuff, they are deeply steeped enough in the Bible that they use it appropriately. Listen to some of these verses in Psalm 2. The one enthroned in heaven, it talks about what the people have done. They've, they've sacrificed up the Messiah to be killed, but then it talks about God's response. Verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Verse 7 and 8, this is still in Psalm 2. I will proclaim the Lord's decrees. He said to me, you're my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Check this. And the ends of the earth, your possession. Remember what Jesus said? You're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They take these jokers back to Psalm 2 and say, well, you remember what Jesus said? This is what God's been saying all along. You know how this story's gonna end? God is with us. He's called us to it. Come on, be strong. The Lord is with us. They bring their friends back to God's word and remind, word, word. They point out this is literally what's happening. God said it all along and they remind their friends how the story's gonna end according to who? According to God. And my encouragement is you, you need friends. You need to have a, your people. By the way, this is why we have microchurches for this express purpose, but it's, it's not just enough to have friends who care. You need friends who are equipped to help you with God's word. Let me go back to the charcoal. For any of you grill masters out there, if I was to light this single piece of charcoal and toss it in my grill here, what would happen? What would happen to it? It'd burn? Would it keep burning? It would fizzle out. Exactly right. Why? Check this. Because while this piece of charcoal is created and intended to burn, it could only burn with any duration and extensive long-lasting power if it is community with a bunch of other pieces of charcoal. That'll preach. The very nature of this charcoal, this is a little thing called a chimenea. If you wanna get the charcoal fire burning in your barbecue grill, I'm getting hungry just messing with all this stuff. If you wanna get charcoal going, you can't just put a single piece in isolation and say, do your thing, hoop, there it is, I'm good. That will go out. What you have to do is you have to get a bunch of pieces of charcoal and you dump them on this thing, hopefully not with a plastic bag there, and then you take it and you light the charcoal and in the context of their community, they are able to sustain fire. In fact, they get so potent that you can take them out of this thing, spread them out on the grill, and if they've been gathered, they are able to scatter for a period of time and still retain their heat and combustibility. Do you see the analogy? We were created to burn with passion and purpose. 
but you get off on an island and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I guess, I guess the Jesus thing isn't real. I guess this God thing isn't real. Or I guess there's something just wrong and broken with me. No, you were just created to burn in community. And that's the only way that passion, that fire will last. You need friends and I need friends and we need friends who not only feel you and, and, and um, sort of empathize with you and offer you a shoulder to cry on, but you also need friends who help get you to God and his truth. You need friends who point you to Jesus. Is this true? All two of y'all, all right, awesome. You need friends who remind you in the midst of challenging circumstances. You need friends who remind you in the midst of very real threat and opposition. God is good. God is faithful. You can wait on the Lord. You can be still and know that he is God. It's been beautiful to watch people in our microchurch, even over this challenging season, flourish and thrive and catch fire for Jesus. And and one of the guys in our microchurch, he was telling me about all the things God's been doing. He's like, man, you know, I've been around followers of Jesus and, and the Christian thing for a long time. And I've been around church and, and I've had little moments where I sparked a little bit of fire and then inevitably it, it went out and, and the fire got snuffed out and it was kind of this back and forth roller coaster. And then I got in microchurch and, and I start meeting just, you know, he's a guy. So I start meeting these ordinary guys or ordinary dudes or normal people, but they're doing the Jesus stuff and they're, they're stepping out to be an encouragement to people and they're helping other people in need and they're sharing about the love of God with others and they're praying for people in, in their lives and at work and in their jobs and at their classes. And, and all of a sudden I realized, man, if they could do it, maybe I could do it. And I started doing it. And for the first time in my life, I got to really talk to someone about Jesus. For the first time in my life, I got to lead someone to come and know Jesus and pray with them. And, and it's been absolutely amazing. He said, man, I wish I could tell everybody if you can get around, if you could just get in a microchurch around other people who love God, man, your love for God will skyrocket. I'm like, well, I could tell them, so. But it's this. We were created uniquely by God to burn with fire, passion, purpose, and destiny. But if we leave ourselves in isolation, inevitably the fire will go out. Point number one, you need friends. Point number two, you need friends who point you to Jesus. But if it stops there, you're missing it. We have to get to the third and final point, which is you need friends who point you to Jesus and get you on mission. You need friends who point you to Jesus and his mission. Let me go back to this illustration here. What is the point of charcoal? Fire, right? Is this like a, a place where I just warm my hands when it's on these chilly South Florida nights that happen once a year? Is that what, is that what charcoal is for? Is it, no, it's not for that? Okay, what's it for? Ah, so you're saying that charcoal, while created and designed to be combustible and flammable, but cannot you know, exceed that and stay on its own, if it gets in community, it can be hot and catch fire, but you're saying the purpose of charcoal is not just to catch fire. What's the purpose? To cook, to cook something like that. Delicious, any, any steak fans out there? Does that look good to anybody else? Delicious, what is that, New York strip? Maybe a sirloin, that looks good. That looks really, oh! Yes, I like the chef at Jack. That's a nice touch right there. Wow, is this, is this real? Oh, that's real. The purpose of, I feel like I wanna, can I eat this? Is this safe for consumption? Should I try that? You guys got me a fork and knife. Hold on a second, I'm sorry. I just gotta see, should I use a fork and knife? Nah. Oh, it's good. Oh my goodness, 
Will anyone like a piece of the steak? All right, come find me afterwards. I'll get you a piece of steak. Oh, that's good. Sorry. This is the best sermon illustration I've ever done in my life. I need to do this much more often. Now I've got a big piece of steak in my mouth, though. The point of the charcoal is not just to get together on a Sunday morning and get all hot and combustible and then go back out and lose some of our potency and then come back together and catch fire again and then go back out. And the point of charcoal is to cook a steak or chicken breast or veggies for all the vegetarians and vegans in here, all right? Whatever you cook, the, there is a purpose and a divine mission behind the charcoal and the combustibility, which is to cook. And if you're here in the room, if you're watching online, I need to remind you that you are not here by accident. There's a deep purpose for your life. And when you get fired up with purpose and destiny and passion for God, when you get sparked and ignited by awakening fire, there is direction and divine purpose behind that fire. We're not just praying to the Lord. We're praying to what Jesus said is the Lord of the harvest who has a desire to send out laborers. Look at how the story ends. They get threatened, they get persecuted, they find this point of opposition, they go back to their people, they go back to their friends who point them to God and point them to his word and, and they find themselves in this situation and then after praying, they pray, God give us boldness, verse 31, and after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Look at how the situation goes. It doesn't just say, and, and, they, and they felt like, okay, we got this, we're good. They were commissioned, they were encouraged by God and then they were commissioned by God to go and fulfill their divine purpose and cook some holy steaks in Jesus' name. Here's the application. Stir up your people with love and boldness for the mission. Stir up your people, your friends, your community with love and boldness for the mission. For those of us that are followers of Jesus and if you're investigating God, faith, and spirituality, thrilled that you're here and you can listen in on this point, but here's my encouragement. We have gifts from God that are unique to who you are as an individual and they are for the purpose of God's glory and people's flourishing. We were rescued and now we've been commissioned. We were created for the mission. And when we engage in the mission, when we engage in the lostness, in the brokenness, in the hurt and the pain of our world, we come alive. This isn't a thing about greenhouse. And the name of greenhouse is gonna perish long after Jesus has come back. It's not gonna be greenhouse and Calvary and Crossway. It's gonna be the family of God and, and God the Father and the people that he longs for. But the beauty of the mission is that when we step out and say yes to God and the mission, we actually come alive. Second Timothy 1, Paul says it like this. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and a sound mind. I'm praying this week, every time we approach the scriptures, we like to ask two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And number two, what do you want me to do about it? I'm praying that you would make God's people your people and fan into flame the gifts boldness for God's glory, for people's flourishing. Why? Because the world needs it. It's always needed it. 
We all live in the real world, right? There's people that are hurting. There's people who are broken. There's people who feel isolated and alone. I love some of these testimonials that we're doing from some of our church family leading up to Easter as, as our people, our family share real stories of where they were stuck and God came to the rescue because we know there's, there's someone out there right now feeling isolated and alone and losing hope and, and someone who's gonna gather in the love of God and the boldness from his spirit to invite them to an Easter Sunday and they're gonna come and they're gonna encounter the love of God and they're gonna find family with, with his people and their life will never be the same. How do I know? Because that happened to some of us. Someone's out there right now and their marriage is in shambles and they didn't even know if they believed in God but they threw up a prayer one night and said, God, if you're even real, do something because... This is about to end and my family's about to be destroyed. And a friend is gonna be motivated by the love of God and the boldness of his spirit to invite them on an Easter Sunday, but they're gonna be out of town. But they can watch online and they're gonna come and say, man, that was kind of cool. And they're gonna hear about marriage in May, which is an event that we run every single year. And they're gonna come and by the power and the love of God, their marriage is gonna be supernaturally transformed as God invades their space and their family will be transformed and will never be the same. How do I know? Yeah, how do I know? because that's what happened to us. I remember being completely distant, far from God, lost, partying, drugs, all sorts of stuff, and, and looking for purpose, and looking for all these things, and looking in all of the wrong places, and then a friend invited me to church on a Sunday morning, and I cussed him out, because I didn't want to go, but he kept inviting me, Ned Flanders style, and so finally I was like, man, sure, I'll go, just to get him to leave me alone, and, but I knew he cared about me, and I felt bad, because I cussed him out, so I was like, sure, I'll go to church with you, and I went to church the next day, and man, this isn't my squeaky clean testimony. I went with a big pocket of drugs with a friend of mine, and I was not looking for God. I just went because I told a friend I would, and I want to be a person of my word. And while I wasn't looking for God, he found me. Changed my life. I mean, in that moment, I can't even fully describe what happened. Something in my heart got touched, and I was like, man, why am I, all these things I've done on my own power, they're not working. Okay, I'll try the Jesus thing, I guess. I'll give that a shot. And my life has never been the same since. Why? Because someone cared enough about me to invite me and invite me again. Here's a reminder, like we, we have such a unique window. I, I think in the sovereignty of God, we didn't even plan it this way. It would have been very strategic, but we didn't. That the passage this morning that we're just going through sequentially lines up at the moment we're in culturally where we're two weeks from the biggest Sunday someone in your life might ever say yes to checking out church. And there's people in your life that you love that might just be one invite away from God changing their life forever. And the question is, will we step out? Not because we think we're better, God knows. Not because we think we have it all together, God really knows. But because he's changed our life so thoroughly, will we step out motivated by the love of God and the boldness of his spirit to invite? There's people, they're one invite away from hope being restored. They're one invite away from finding friends and faith family that they've been longing for. They are one invite away from finding the love and acceptance they've been looking for their entire life in all the wrong places. And guess what? We are that invite. We are that invite. You say, but Pastor John, I'm, you're an extrovert. You like talk to snails and any moving creature. I, I can't do that, Pastor John. Like, what if I invite someone and they say no? That's okay. That's okay. 
You're like, man, I, I, just, don't, I just don't have it in me to, to, to be able to do that. I mean, what are they gonna think about me? What, how's it gonna be? And notice there's a lot of me there, but well, what's that gonna turn out like? It's okay, baby, you can't do it, which is why the hero of the story is ultimately God, but it's not an individual. It is a community effort. Maybe you can't do it, but we can. Microchurches, look at me real quick. And microchurch leaders, I want you to key in here. Here is my prayer over the next two weeks that you would stir up your people, your community to fan into flame these coals of passion and purpose with love and boldness for the mission. That we would be the type of friends, the type of community like right here that we see in Acts chapter four, that is a community of boldness fueled by the love of God, a concern and a care for others and the boldness by his spirit. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's what he did for us. Worship team, you guys can come up. We're gonna close in just a second in the final chorus, but I wanna close with this story. Ultimately, it's, it's not just about people and it's not just about us and it's not about our courage. And it's not about us just pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and just being better. It's, it's about modeling the gospel. I came across a story a few weeks ago that, that I just couldn't shake. It's a story of two friends who went off to war and and as they kind of went off, they, they got separated into different units. And, and at one moment, they were fighting in the same battlefield, but in separate areas, and one of the friends got shot. It was a serious injury. He was lying there on the battlefield, but he had been shot behind enemy lines. And with all of the gunfire, no one could make their way to him to pull him out and get him to a medic's tent. And he was lying there bleeding out. The friend heard about it, he was separated, he had another officer, he was in another unit, and, and he heard about this, and he kind of ran to the area where he could get a look, and he saw the situation unfold, and he says, I gotta go to him, and his officer said, you're not gonna go to him, there's enemy fire, there's crossfire, you're not gonna go, it would be a foolish move, you would die just trying to get your friend, I get it, I'm sorry, this is war. The friend said, okay, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. But when the officer turned away, he made a beeline for his friend ducking under enemy fire, made it all the way there, scoops him up in his arms, running back on his way back to their line. His friend gets shot in his arms multiple times, dies in his arms. He gets shot himself. He finally makes it back to the end, barely. They take both he and his friend to the medical tent. His friend is declared dead on the scene. And now they're tending to this man's wounds who's been shot multiple times, but it looks like he's gonna survive. And, and the officer comes over to him and he says, what were you thinking? I, I told you, I told you what was gonna happen. I told you that it wasn't worth the risk. I told you that it was gonna go down. What a foolish move, what a waste. And at that point, the friend stood up and looked at him. He said, it wasn't a waste. He said, when I made it to my friend, laid down next to him and told him, hey, I'm gonna get you. And he was still alive at that point. And he looked up at me in the eyes. And he only said one thing before he passed. He said, I knew you'd come for me. And friends, at the end of the day, the moral of the story is we go for him because he came for us. It's all about Jesus. It's about the gospel. This isn't a greenhouse thing. We can be as big or small as God wants. It's not about growing this church. And it's not even just about growing the church. What it's about is love. 
What it's about is a God who so loved the world that when he knew the ramifications and the consequences that would come into his own flesh, he so loved you and I that he sent his son. And when we were stuck in a situation of our own making, lying, bleeding out on a battlefield called life, he loved us so much that he came for us. So we go for him. It's what we do. It's who we are. When you've been rescued, you can't help but want to rescue others. And when that drive is broken, you say, God, I know there's something wrong. Give me your heart and give me your eyes and help me see people the way you see people and help me care for people the way you care for people. Not because they need me and not because they need greenhouse, but because they need you, the God who so loves them that you came for them even when they wanted nothing to do with you. We go for him because he came for us. This week, lean into the love of God. This week, lean into the heart of the Father. If you're not a Jesus follower and you're like, man, I, I don't even really know what that's about, it's a great chance for you to experience that incredible transforming love that so many of us in this community have experienced and we've never been the same since. I'm not saying life is easy. It's incredibly difficult and sometimes more difficult to follow Jesus, but it is worth it because everything you're looking for is found in him. Why don't you join me as we pray? Jesus, I'm asking that right now by your spirit, you would move on our hearts. That you would remind us of your love, your grace, your goodness, and your kindness. Maybe you're here this morning and you connected most with the first movement of my talk. You feel alone. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you feel neglected, maybe you feel abandoned, maybe you feel betrayed. I have great news for you this morning. Jesus has not forgotten you and he wants to meet you right now, right where you're at, wherever you're at. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's the one who sets the solitary in families. Many of our stories is where our biological families failed us. The family of God stepped in not to be a perfect family, but to be a present family. And if you're here this morning and, and you sense God moving and tugging on your heart, here's what you do, respond. Right there online, right there in Guyana, right there here in the room, you, you respond, you say, Jesus, I'm listening. You've got my attention and you can have my heart. Help me. Change me, forgive me, teach me. I wanna follow you. Maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus and, and for you, it's a call to that boldness that we see embodied in the Acts church. By the way, just to be biblically clear, the boldness came when they were filled with the Holy Spirit over and over and over again so far in our story. We're gonna close out our service together this morning doing exactly what they did when they encountered opposition, when they encountered hardship, when they met, like Pastor Robert talked about last week, when they were met face first with their fears, they went to God in worship and in prayer. And he changed their hearts. So I'd love to close like this. If you could stand to your feet here in the room, online, you're welcome. There's prayer partners right there. You could request prayer. If our prayer partners here in the room could come up and, and line the front, we're going to close out singing and praying to God that he would give us hearts full of boldness and love for the world that he so loves. 
And if you'd like some prayer, as soon as we begin to sing, you're welcome to come forward. Let's close our time in worship together.